last good musical that wasn't animated. That was a movie? Yeah. Like movie musical? Um, that wasn't, an- oh man. I don't think there's been a good one since like Chicago. Yeah. I know people are going to be like, what about La La Land? I don't like La La Land. No, me neither. There's a lot of good stuff about La La Land. I'm going to say it's well done. It's well done. I don't like I it. I didn't enjoy it. I liked parts of Les Mis. I like the Broadway show of Les Mis. Sure, but they but, thought like, well, let's do the biggest musical. You know who we should hire? People that can't sing. Yeah. And Anne Hathaway. And Anne Hathaway. Who is a treasure. She is a treasure and she can sing. Yes. But like Russell Crowe was terrible and his voice was terrible. And they had all these really weird sound effects. Like when he fell, they made him, they put in this like sickening, like crack the thing. Yeah. They're just like splitting melons. Yeah. It was weird. It was poorly done. There was some good performances in it. Like, um, what's his name? Was that Eddie Redmayne? Yes. He's good. He's so good. Um, Wolverine wasn't bad. No. Anne Hathaway's a treasure as always. She's a treasure. <laughs> Samantha Barks, who's now playing Elsa on Broadway. She, playing Elsa? She played... Uh, what do you mean playing Elsa? On, on Frozen on Broadway. You know what was pretty good? Frozen, the movie. <laughs> okay. None of the live action Disney movies make my list. Of good musicals? Of good musicals. No, because they're all like, hey, you want to see, remember that thing you liked before? How about we make it a little bit worse and take the magic out of it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You go, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. Please ruin my childhood. You know that magical childhood movie? Yeah. What if you're old and there's no magic? Well, that sounds wonderful. That sounds like being an adult. (laughs) I'm already dealing with that. I don't need you... To put it on screen and make me pay ten dollars to see it. Live action Disney remakes are a perfect metaphor for being an adult because it's like something you remember from being a kid, but it's worse. Mm-hmm. And you've seen it before, <laughs> and you know it's going to be bad, but you have no choice. Somehow, it's just there always. Yikes! Oh yeah, we're going to do a podcast that's not about musicals. Uh, this is I love this. You should too. Oh. Which is an Alberta Podcast Network podcast and is locally grown and community supported. I'm Samantha Hees and with me is indie, no musicals are good, Randawa. Oh, I love musicals. <laughs> but it's in the same way when you're like, oh, you don't like any romantic comedies. I do. I just think that modern romantic comedies, they forgot one of the two things. Mm. They're either funny and they're terrible people, or they're romances, and there's no comedy. Right. There used to be some good ones. Bride Wars notwithstanding. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, this is a podcast. Let's thank our first sponsor of the day. And that is the Edmonton Community Foundation and their podcast, The Well-Endowed Podcast, hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink, produced by Lisa Pruden. The Well-Endowed Podcast explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. And the Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds that we talk about on this podcast pretty often. And the Well-Endowed Podcast tells the stories of how these endowment funds intersect with the community. So you can subscribe and find out more at thewellendowedpodcast.com or wherever you're listening to us right now. 
All right, Samantha, it's your turn to let us know what we'll be watching for the Big Watch next week. But before we get into that, do you have a, a thing of the week you want to let us know about? I do, and I'm doing a book. Big surprise. Nobody is surprised. Is it a book by a rich blonde lady? Probably. <laughs> um, yeah, so it is Jessica Simpson's 2020 autobiography open book. Is it there? Let's just... I picture that. Those are her terrible instructions. Step one, open book. No. <laughs> I really enjoyed this. I did not know very much about Jessica Simpson, and she kind of comes from that era of um, when marketing young singers, it worked to market them as like kind of dumb blondes. So like Britney, Christina... Jessica but nobody Simpson. was known as a dumb blonde more yes. than Jessica Simpson. Because I don't think anyone thought of Christina Aguilera and Britney Spears as particularly dumb. Well, I don't know, because I wasn't really like, yeah. into it. But I I don't have that impression of them as someone who wasn't a fan. But when I think of Jessica Simpson, I was like, oh, yeah, she's the one that was like, buffaloes don't have wings. That's what I remember of her. <laughs> um, yeah, so like, it was really interesting to hear how... Um, like manufactured her image was and how um she basically had no creative control uh over her whole image and everything because she uh started kind of being famous at a time when children were like the product and not part of like the creative process so uh she started um her kind of rise to fame uh, by auditioning for the Mickey Mouse Club with a young Justin Timberlake and a young Ryan Gosling. Ooh. And a young Britney Spears as well. She grew up knowing some very, very famous people and ended up becoming famous as well. Um, but in her book, she goes on kind of uh, like a darker um, behind-the-scenes look of her life, um, including uh, sexual abuse, um, and struggles such as like weight, divorce, emotionally abusive relationships, and how an undiagnosed anxiety uh, disorder kind of affected her ability to have creative control over her life. Um, and she talks about uh, her billion dollar apparel line and how she basically stopped being in music because of um, the media and started uh, just focusing on kind of monetizing the name. And now she has a billion dollar company that has like 30 product categories. And she comes across very smart in this book. Were you a fan of her music way back when? I can't think of a Jessica Simpson song. I know her music. I don't think I was a fan necessarily. Um, but I did know kind of her music and like about her or what I thought I knew about her. Right. And she had like a reality show for many years, right? She had a, I believe it was one season of a reality show with her husband. Um, she married Nick Lachey from 98 Degrees. Oh. And was she playing a character? Is that what she's saying? Like, I wasn't dumb. I was pretending to be dumb on that show. She, yeah. She said that the producers really pushed her to continue on with that, like, image of herself and kind of 
told her what to do and what to say. Um, and so she didn't really have a choice and they would threaten her with like cutting off the show or like any number of like things that they could threaten her with for publicity. So yeah, she did have a reality show and I think it was just called Nick and Jessica. But yeah, it was about them being married. Anytime I say something dumb on this, I'm going to be like, well, you know, the producer told me. To <laughs> the producer. That's how I'm going to get You're out the of producer. <laughs> oh, no. It was a character I was playing. Oh, yeah, yeah. There you go. Was this an audiobook that you listened to? Yes, it was. Did she read it? She read it. Which I think for audio autobiographies, it's kind of nice to have the yeah, author do it because it... It is like in their voice in the book. So it's kind of nice to be able to have them read it to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it was really interesting to hear her talk about that. And she gets kind of emotional in parts of it as well, which kind of helps with like some of the really emotional material in the book. And uh, she does a really good job of performing the book. So if you are looking for a good book to read, um, and then it's a relatively quick read, uh, you can listen to Open Book by Jessica Simpson and uh, let me know what you think. You've read a few biographies in the last little while. Mm -hmm. Does this rank up at the top? Um, I definitely thought it was like really well written. So I think this is probably top three in the autobiographies i've read in the last year you should have a very specific book list like on uh, the library website i have top seven talking black cat movies (laughs) because it's very specific but i definitely have feelings on that you could have top rich blonde lady uh biographies or autobiographies yeah because you have quite a few of them, and I feel like that is a niche that you could corner, and you would have the expertise for people who are looking for similar things. True. So, Indy, what's your thing of the week? Well, I'm going book too, but I'm going books. Books. Like I said a while ago, I am reading the novels of Kurt Vonnegut, or all of the works, but I'm only going to talk about novels here, and I feel like I can't give a good short recommendation like you just did Mm -hmm. because with a Kurt Vonnegut one you're either going to say like a few things to get people interested or you're going to explore it in depth if you just say the amount you did it sounds ridiculous or (laughs) it gives away the best parts of it kind of okay so uh, I did it a few episodes ago for his earlier works, but now let's go through the middle section of his career if you're not familiar Kurt Vonnegut is an American author who lived from 1922 to 2007. He wrote a lot of short stories, novels, essays, plays. I am not going to do any of those other things. I'm just talking about his novels because we don't have all day. (laughs) We just have some of the day. And I talked about a bunch already, but let's pick up part two. And we're going to go from 1969 to either 1979 or 1982, depending on how fast I talk. And go. Well, we're going to start off with a hit. The hit, probably. Oh. With uh, Slaughterhouse-Five. Okay. Have you heard of that one? I've heard of it. I don't know anything about it. So Slaughterhouse-Five, or the full title is Slaughterhouse-Five or The Children's Crusade, A Duty Dance with Death. Oh. A lot of his titles are- Duty Dance with Death. Yeah. I feel like I don't even know how to get into this one because this is often regarded as one of the greatest novels of all time. And yeah, 
It, it pretty much is. It's also not my favorite of his, but oh. I do think maybe his best work. Okay. I, I think there's a distinction there. Mm-hmm. Um, he starts off this book by saying, like, if I ever tried to capture the firebombing of Dresden, which he was uh, a witness of, right. I would fail miserably. Here is that failure. And then he just writes a book. Wow. <laughs> and I, he was talking about how when he was going to write this book, he said, I'm going to write a war book finally. And his publisher was like, is it going to be an anti-war book? Because that's who Vonnegut is. He's mm-hmm. very anti-war. And he said, yeah, I guess so, because that's just who I am. And then the publisher said, well, you might as well write an anti-glacier book. <laughs> and that phrase is like harsh in a lot of ways, because it's so like war is inevitable, is uh-huh. what he's saying, right? But what Vonnegut didn't know at the time is like, no, the glaciers are going. War outlasted the glaciers, which is that's terrible. Dark. <laughs> and he would have seen a uh, a very sad humor in that, I'm sure. Wow. And this book has two different readings. I'm not going to tell you what they are because you have to read the book. But mm. one person to read it and be like, oh, it meant all of this. And you can read the exact same thing and think different things happened in this book. Based on like who you are? Yes. Or, oh, interesting. And some people are like, oh, I never even thought of it that way. And we get that a little bit with our movies. Sometimes yeah. when... We'll see different things or pick up on different themes. But the basis of this book can be taken very two very different ways. Wow. So that's really fun. The format is really interesting because it is formatted by ideas rather than time. Because this is another one of those books where he talks about the meaninglessness of time. Or at least... Or maybe how meaningful it is, I guess. He just talks about time. <laughs> Because in some of his books, he has that alien species who uh, sees time all at once. And they are trying to describe how humans see time. Because they're like, they don't understand us because we just seem like... (laughs) So the aliens are talking to other aliens. And they said, well, imagine if you're on a train, but your head is strapped to the window and you just have a tube to look through. That's what humans see. They just see things passing through that little tube. They can't go and look around like we can. And that's how they explain our perception of time interesting i know i'm not going to say anything about the book but it's one of the best books ever written just go read it i will say that the phrase so it goes is said 106 times in this book taylor swift has a song called so it goes i know and (laughs) i thought maybe since taylor swift makes vonnegut references now you would start getting into kurt vonnegut yeah well this one sounds really interesting uh slaughterhouse five couldn't recommend it higher Uh, Let's go quickly on to Breakfast of Champions or Goodbye Blue Monday from 1973. (laughs) Those are two very different titles. And they both make sense. Okay. In it. So this is kind of a road trip with a um, sci-fi author and a Pontiac dealer. And they're going on a road trip. Kind of. But this (laughs) one I think is maybe not as accessible because it's less of a story. Uh Uh-huh. And those are the Vonnegut ones I like the least. And Breakfast of Champions, first read through, I didn't really like it. Actually, this one was an audiobook, so that might be part of the reason. I felt less uh, invested, but uh, John Malkovich read it, which was kind of fun. Oh. And there's a lot of uh, illustrations in this book. Vonnegut sometimes draws really crude drawings, but I did have the paper version as well. But when I was listening to it, you'd hear John Malkovich go, and here is a picture of a bird. It seems to be dead outside of a cage. What? <laughs> it's just, 
like von, uh, Malkovich is kind of funny in his He's delivery. very deadpan. But this book is less of a story and more a collection of ideas, but not in the way um, Slaughterhouse was because those are actual story elements. In this one, they're talking about things abstractly a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I didn't get into it because I always want to go, what's happening? And much of this book doesn't have characters doing things but rather the exploration of ideas and i felt that that didn't work and people would tell a story like oh this reminds me of and you'd hear this big divergence and i didn't like it and then i listened to a podcast called the kurt vana guys which is very good and i recommend it very highly <laughs> with um, fun. michael swaim and michael swaim is i think a, a very smart guy and i like a lot of his criticisms of uh, movies and novels and such and Alex Schmidt, who's also very good. And they talked about it. And this was the biggest instance of, like how you've talked about with me in the past, that, oh, I just didn't get that. And right. I just didn't get it. Oh, so they've kind of illuminated some yeah. things for you. And they're like, they were talking about, oh, I love how they had all these divergences, but you could see little inclusions in those divergences were mirroring something that the character was feeling and that's why they were included. And I just didn't pick up on all of it because maybe because it was the audiobook and I wasn't paying as close attention maybe. as when I'm reading paper. But either way, I think it's much better than I give it credit for. But uh, you read it. You tell me. Next, let's go on to slapstick or lonesome no more (laughs) exclamation mark from 1976 he talks about this novel as his most autobiographical novel and he says it in the book like this is an autobiography essentially oh even though he himself as kurt vonnegut appears in other novels Uh uh-huh and is a character in them. And Kilgore Trout, who appears in many of his novels, is clearly based on him. Right. He says this is his most autobiographical. And it is... I'm just going to tell you what this one's about. Because okay. it's so ridiculous. But the story itself is very rooted in just normal, honest human emotion. Huh. But it is um, the autobiography of someone named Dr. Wilbur Daffodil Eleven Swain. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm with you. And the premise is that this man and his twin sister, they are very grotesquely ugly and very large, and they spend most of their lives pretending to be disabled, when in reality they can combine their intelligences to become super intelligent. But of course, that whole thing is just uh, about the death of his real-life sister, and you can see how he feels incomplete after her death due to cancer, I believe. I think this is the real story, was that his sister died of cancer and then her children's father died like the next day on a train wreck and then suddenly those kids were orphans i believe that's actually true but then um in this uh wilbur daffodil 11 swain becomes president and he makes everyone have these middle names and then everyone with your same middle name is your new family so there's no new there's no welfare state because everyone in your middle name is going to take care of you so if you're ever poor you just go to some other daffodils or some chipmunks and they're gonna help you because they're your family and then the apocalypse kind of happens (laughs) okay and he's living in this new world where gravity can fluctuate and some people make themselves so small so they don't consume as many resources but then they unintentionally become viruses and that's the story that he thinks is the closest thing to an autobiography he's ever written. 
Interesting. Yeah, and that sounds random, crazy, and sci-fi. <laughs> but that's the thing I love about Vonnegut is he can take things that are crazy and sci-fi and make them not so crazy. Uh, let's go to Jailbird from 1979, and this is his like Watergate novel. I don't need to get into the plot. It's just a treatise on how capitalism fucks over the average man. There's a line in it that I really liked that talks about that anyone who is homeless are byproducts of the engine of capitalism, which is, yeah, pretty much. Okay. And uh, at one point, someone toasts a drink to God and they go, to God, the laziest man in town. (laughs) And I just, I don't know why I think that's so funny, but I think it's very funny. That's funny. And I'll do one last one. And this one is called Dead Eye Dick from 1982. And the main character is referred to as Dead-Eye Dick, but it's mean to call him that. Fair. Uh, Very early on in the book, he says, like, I will go my entire life being unloved because I am a double murderer. And you're like, wait, what? uh, (laughs) That's such a random thing to reveal. He doesn't believe in tension. He usually tells you what's going to happen in the prologue. Right. And then you just see it unfold. Right, you said he doesn't believe in tension or, like, building suspense. No. He's like, no, suspense is for lazy writers. Oh, see, I like that. (laughs) That's what I like about some of the books I've read. So he tells you, like, I'm going to be a double murderer and die unloved. And you're like, okay, fun. Let's see how we get there. (laughs) And there's recipes throughout this one, Mm -hmm. which is fun. And I was like, why are there recipes? And then it started, like, making sense to me. Every recipe was from a point of this character's life, and okay. it kind of elucidates something about them at that point. And like, why did they need to make this certain thing? And then you look and think about that, and you learn more about the character. Uh-huh. And he's from this very rich family, but he always loves spending time in the kitchen as a child because he felt more at home with all of these people crammed in a hot room than this giant, big, empty mansion. And he talks about how all rich people do is take up space and do nothing. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> And in one point, it's not really a huge plot point, but there is a bomb that people develop that kills people and not property. So it doesn't like blow up buildings. It just kills people. Yeah. And there's a line about how since all the property is undamaged, has the world lost anything it loved? Oh, interesting. And there's all sorts of clearly symbolic things like this expensive, now neglected art center, a depopulated city. And this character's life is ruined because of this accident where somebody dies. But we keep getting all of these instances of other people not having to pay for their crimes, like governments who drop bombs and wipe out entire cities and people that they didn't mean to kill, but they're like, well, collateral collateral damage. So that is fine. And when you think about it, you're like, oh, yeah, well, sure, the government kills people accidentally all the time, and that's fine. But if you just were shooting a gun in the air and you accidentally shot someone, it's not fine. Yeah. Yeah. And then he also relates that to people who commit crimes who are addicted to drugs versus doctors who knowingly just prescribe drugs that they know will end in addiction and have a history of doing that. And You know, it's just Vonnegut being Vonnegut. But um, Dead Eye Dick, I think, is very good as well. So from those few that I just said... You know what? They're all good. Dead Eye Dick is very good. Jailbird, I don't like as much. Mm. Slaughterhouse-Five is one of the greatest things ever written. Breakfast at Champ- of Champions, I think you need to work at it. But a lot of people th- think that's their favorite. Mm. And then the other one I mentioned was also great, but that was called... I just said all that stuff, and now I can't remember the title of the book. <laughs> the one with Wilbur 
Daffodil Eleven Swain. Okay, I'm going to Google what the book I just told you all about was called because I don't actually know that. <laughs> That's funny. Slapstick. Slapstick uh, is very good as well. Okay. <laughs> the end. The end. That's funny that you had to Google it. I can go into so much detail about it, but I forget the titles. That's fair. I sometimes forget titles of books too. So our second sponsor of the show is the Alberta Podcast Network and their show speaking municipally and uh speaking municipally is hosted by taproot edmonton and they present a weekly discussion on key stories in municipal politics so they pay attention to city council so that you don't have to watch seven hour meetings awesome and uh you can join them as they delve into conversations about the context surrounding decisions made at city halls the best episode that they've done lately uh was they had the former mayors of Edmonton, Red Deer, and Calgary, so Don Iveson, Tara Beer, and Nahid Nenshi, play uh, Alberta Jeopardy. Oh, interesting. So it's kind of a fun, like, how much do you know about your province? Uh, so that is Taproot Edmonton and their podcast, Speaking Municipally, and you can find it wherever you're listening to our podcast. All right, Sam. I'm super excited. I don't know what it's going to be. What are we watching for the big watch for next week? So last pick of mine, we did Step Up. Yes. And we had fun watching it. We did. Um. So I'm hoping that we can rekindle that fun and watch Step Up 2 the streets oh (laughs) i did always want to see this movie i know you talk about it all the time so hopefully you can get excited about it like i'm i'm excited to watch this actually it um doesn't have anybody in it that i know from other things except for channing tatum so i don't want to watch a trailer i want to go into this blind again but the things that I will tell you about it. Okay. The main characters or some of the characters in this movie are Andy, Moose, Chase, Moose? Sophie, Cable, Cable, Missy, Hair, Hair, Smiles, Tuck, and Fly. My favorite's going to be Tuck. Who's your favorite? Smiles, Cable, Fly, Nuke, Crush, Boop. <laughs> Bop. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just pulled up the uh, cast of Step Up to Google page and I read all their names and I was like, none of these people have last names and half of their names aren't actually names. They're just names of things. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, Channing Tatum makes an appearance in this. I'm not sure what kind of role he plays in the movie or whether it's just a cameo. Um but this came out February 14th, 2008. Oh, it was a Valentine's release. Directed by John M. Chu. Um, it made $150.8 million at the box office. Whoa. And uh, I don't want to look at it anymore because I don't want to spoil it. But um, it has a 28% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, we will be watching Step Up to the Streets. Do you think it's Step Up 2 and then this movie is subtitled The Streets? Or is it like Step Up to the Streets? There's a colon after two. 
Mm. Colon's the two dots, right? Correct. Okay. So there's a colon after two, but it kind of always sounds like you're just saying it as a sentence because of the number two. Sounds like to the streets. So do you think this one is all like street dancing? It's not in any prestigious ballet academy. It's on the streets. So these are like kind of chronological. Like they they are all kind of intertwined, all the stories in the Step Up franchise. I found that out after the last movie. So I assume that that prestigious dance academy is in it again. Hmm. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Step up to the streets. I'm going to step up so hard. I'm going to step all the way up to the street. Whoa. Because this movie told me to. I usually step down to the streets because the curb is a little bit above. Yeah, usually. Yeah, usually it is a step down. I guess when you're coming out of the subway, you're stepping up to the streets. True. So it's an hour and 38 minutes. And I bet it's going to have some dancing in it. I bet it is. I just hope that the soundtrack has like a few songs that we know. Yeah. That would be fun because this is what, 2008? 2008, yeah. I hope it has some ridiculous outfits. I hope that the actors are all just doing caricatures. (laughs) I hope that there's unfounded stereotypes. I hope I get to at least laugh. I hope hope we laugh too. I hope we laugh too. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to watch this one. I hope we laugh too. The streets. The streets. We'll have to just like go outside of our house and laugh and then come back in. Okay, well, we will see you next week when we talk about Step Up 2, The Streets. Well, we got nothing else. Go watch Step Up 2, The Streets. Where can people watch it? It looks like it's available for rent, but not uh, for streaming. Um, So Google Play, Apple TV, Amazon Prime Video, and YouTube all have it for rent. Oh, and it looks like you could just buy it, a DVD on Amazon for nine bucks. Oh. I say just spend twice as much as your rental. Buy a physical DVD of Step Up 2. And keep it forever. Actually, I want everyone out there to go watch it, but only copies that you find in like pawn shops and used bookstores and stuff because or like i feel the dollar like, store yeah or bargain bins yeah i feel like that's where step up to the streets you, yeah those really found big like cardboard bins that they have at like walmart yeah where you have to stick your arm like all the way in up to the shoulder to yeah get go to the dig to the bottom of a walmart bin get a copy of step up to the streets and tell us where you found it yeah okay everyone see you next week bye everyone But the Bride Wars uh, Broadway musical, pretty good. Not a Broadway musical. It probably was. Everything apparently now has to be a Broadway musical. Have you seen um, Tide Pods, the Broadway musical? That's not a Broadway musical. (laughs) I think it might be. No. (laughs) Almost as good as Rear End Neck Injury, the Broadway musical. That sounds gross. (laughs) Well, I meant like you were in a car accident. Yeah, but... I don't know what you took away from it.